The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. Support free speech and support the content by signing up at patreon.com forward slash red pill tamales. This will help us create more content like new music from me, Chingo Bling, every month, like a new single every month in 2022. More videos, more sketches, studio upgrades, more pan dulce, more cafecito, and of course, more podcasts. Thank you guys. And of course, sign up for the newsletter right now at chingobling.com. Take action. Stay ahead of the censors. We can always get deplatformed. We can always get shadow banned. But if we can at least have your email, you can know where we're at, where we had to move to. Don't forget, join the Discord. That is the popping ass chat room we all have access to when you become a member of the TIA. That's the Tamal Intelligence Agency by joining the Patreon right now. Go give the podcast a rating and review on iTunes. It will help us out tremendously. And without further ado, Let's start the show. Uh, Dr. Roy's ready for a uh, Dr. Roy. Pfft. Chief Roy's ready hey. for the call. You ready? Yeah. And just to just to set it up real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, the RGV, if y'all haven't been keeping an eye, uh, this administration cares a lot about the border, except it's the Ukrainian border they care about. And they treating us like serfs, like Russian serfs, like we're not sovereign. And they dumping people off in the middle of the night. We have Chief Roy. Let's hit it. On the line. Well, we're not that fast. We're not like, you know, cut yeah. to. Yeah, producers. Yeah. No, we got to actually. Good morning. Hey, good what's morning. up, brother? Good morning. Good morning, Chief. Good morning. How y'all doing? Great. Thank you for making time, brother. Absolutely. So um, just, uh, you know, we have the audience uh, tuning in. So I've been seeing footage of single male adults, you know, contrary to what this administration is telling us, they're like, oh, no, it's kids and stuff like that. But you have single male adults covering their faces in, in the RGV in Brownsville. And then there's also reports of, of people getting flown out to like New York airports in the middle of the night. Um, what is going on? Well, I, you're absolutely correct. Um, one of the as we when we met last time, uh, the question was the change in the demographics there was a lot of families and unaccompanied children. That demographic has changed again, and we're, we're sort of seeing a shift back to the traditional um, flow of, migra- of migrants, which is a lot of single adults. So depending upon what part of the border we're talking about, <clears throat> there's still some areas where families and unaccompanied children are, are flocking to, Yuma, Tucson, uh, RGV. But that population is decreasing as the number of single adults, principally males, are, are beginning to arrive at the border. And the, uh, you know, the aspect of the flights um, into the United States that's absolutely happening. Um, <clears throat> this administration, unfortunately, it touts that it, it doesn't have an open border policy, but it, all its actions are contrary to what they're saying. Um, when you encounter 1.7 million people at the border, it's an indication that outside of the United States, people think that it's an open border. And of that 1.7 million people, a sizable proportion of them were released right into the United States. Um, the ongoing joke amongst the Border Patrol right now is that we are now part of the smuggling process because... We are, I got I forget the number of tired sometimes, but the Border Patrol, uh, what the agents are doing is they're actually processing them 
and then releasing these folks into the country. And, and in some cases, driving them to uh, metro metro areas where they can get in, onto airplanes and buses and fly to other parts of the country. Hey, Chief, question. So it's, it's just, uh, one yeah. of the recent vi- uh, videos that I've seen some you know independent journalists cover, they, they say that when they contacted the Border Patrol, that they didn't have anything to do with it. And when they contacted ICE, they did say that they've been working. I don't know if it was McAllen or Brownsville or what part exactly of the, of the RGV, but it was basically like an ICE release situation. Does that sound right? So it goes hand in hand. Um, the Border Patrol has long advocated not to, to do releases um, because it, it's contrary. To, the messaging behind it is if we catch or arrest and then release, it, it doesn't send a very firm uh, message in regards to border security. And technically, the entity that's responsible for the, uh, the movement, the detention, and the release of, of uh, migrants is ICE. So for the most part, yes, um, the Border Patrol may release some directly, as we saw down in Del Rio with the Haitians, and then sometimes in Yuma and RGV because they get so overwhelmed with the volume of of, uh, undocumented aliens that they have to do some releases. But ICE is the organization, or I'm sorry, the department that facilitates the flights into the various parts of the country. Uh, The New York Post just released a story by Miranda Devine. Uh, I'll just read a paragraph real quick. While Joe Biden and Pelosi go all out to protect Ukraine's national sovereignty, at the same time, they're orchestrating a clandestine invasion of America across the southern border. Two million illegal immigrants from dozens of countries crossed over the over from Mexico last year. And the Biden administration is facilitating the cartels people smuggling operation at taxpayer expense. And I just heard, uh, I guess according to DHS, they lost track of 50,000 migrants or people or something. Do you know anything about that? They like lost people? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so uh, part of what they try to do is, so they, again, this administration, they say one thing, but do absolutely the opposite. Part of what they're trying to do is be creative. And uh, so depending upon the the criminality of the of the individual. They may place a, an ankle bracelet on the person, but one of the things that they've moved to, to is they're actually giving uh, aliens cell phones. Um, sometimes they're Android, sometimes they're iPhones, and it's uh, it's loaded up. And what they're told to do is when you get to wherever you're going in the United States, I, he's arrested in Yuma, and then he flies to New York. He's told that within 30 days, you need to take a picture and send it to ICE, verifying that you're in New York and, and uh, where you're at. And then you need you need to check in every thirty days. Well, they may do that the first day or, may, or the first time, maybe the second time, and then after that they're gone. Um, so, if they're not wearing an ankle bracelet, which what I've witnessed in the past is some of them keep it on, but most of them once they get to their destination, they cut it off and throw it in the garbage. And now if we're handing out these cell phones and expecting to self-report, I mean it's a voluntary reporting process. Honor code. They're not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Honor system. Yeah, they're not Honor do system. It. Chief, so yeah. we, we've talked about this. I don't know, the last time you were on might have been like six plus months ago. We've talked outside of the podcast as well. How do you make sense of this to somebody who goes on Twitter and they're seeing people who are dedicating their entire Twitter feeds and threads to saying that there is no crisis at the border, that this is all fabricated, and they're even going out to places where there's no, they're just literally in like it's, desert areas of Texas saying there's nothing here. It's white supremacy lies. Yeah. That's what I've been told. <laughs> well, you can't refute the fact. I mean, you just quoted the New York Times. Uh, you look at DHS. You look at the, the White House press releases. They all openly admit 1.7 million to 2 million arresting and encounters at the southwest border last year. That is an all-time record. I served for three decades 
And the last time we saw that range of numbers, uh, when it was early in the, or excuse me, late in the 1980s, where we were arresting about a million to one and a half million people. And, and then from then on, it went away. And so, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 go ahead. So, I mean, you just can't refute that in and of itself. There is an absolute crisis at the border. And, and you've got to remember also, I could drive down to the border right now and find nobody because unless you know the those that want to get away, they're not standing out in obvious places. You know, their, their efforts are to go through the, the canyons and arroyos, the mountains, and avoid detection. Those that want to be caught, and this is one of the biggest problems in Yuma, um, this gets back to the demographics. What happens in Yuma is they'll have a group of 300 people walk to one of the gaps that's left in the... You got to remember, we were, we were building wall, and then this administration put a stop to it, and very recently they decided to start closing those gaps. There's something like 800 gaps left open. These groups will walk over to a gap in the fence, and then they just sit there. At one point, the Border Patrol so overwhelmed in Yuma that they actually set people up. Uh, the, the Border Patrol station from the border itself and the gap that the aliens were using is probably three to four miles. They actually set up one or two agents, and, and they were just directing the migrants, and they would walk straight from the border to the Border Patrol station and turn themselves in so they could get processed and released. But that's how horrendous it's gotten in Yuma, Arizona. So it's, To say there's no crisis is just that it's... It's an absolute, uh, I'm going to be blunt, it's an absolute lie. There isn't. Let me ask you this. When it comes to the federal government versus states, uh, how, in your opinion, is the state handling? Let's just say Texas, for example. The wheels, as I call them, Governor uh. Abbott, has a lot of pressure on him with how he's handling this and what he is or isn't doing, like you said, based off what they say. You know, the way this administration says one thing does another. He's kind of catching a lot of heat for doing the same thing. Do you have any insight on that, or even Arizona, for that matter? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, the federal government is is responsible for border security and, and uh, immigration, but the states do have uh, you know, they have the capability to deploy the national guard, um, state resources like DPS or CHP in California, uh, Arizona is the same thing. So they, they have that within their capability. They can also provide support from the perspective of um, transport, uh, conducting um, limited intelligence. Like sometimes we would ask them to. We'd give them a, a data dump, and they would query that to, to identify stash houses or uh, criminal aliens within organ, organizations that we're looking at. So they have that uh, that capability. The problem is, is you they're also they're politicians, so they've got constituents to to, to address. So depending upon what state you're in, sometimes you get absolute support, and other times you don't. But um, can they do more? Absolutely. Um, some of the states have uh, enacted state laws where smuggling is a crime, so they'll prosecute it. Trafficking is a big thing. You know, that's that's one of the things I forgot to mention. Um, and I would mentioned in the past that we, we do see trafficking. I was speaking to some of the agents out of uh, Yuma yesterday, and one of them said one of the phenomena that they're realizing now is they're seeing a lot of young females, um, fairly attractive females that, that appear to have had some, probably some cosmetic work or they're just young and in great shape. And they don't have time to do the, the, the full trafficking um, questions and what they're surmising is that they're coming, they're getting, they're they're being trafficked up, and then they're either moved into prostitution or they're moved over into you know strip clubs and stuff like that. But they're when we talk about things that happen within the this greater population of two million aliens, little things like this fall under the radar screen because the agents are overwhelmed. And I've also heard reports about the cartels and the smugglers utilizing drones and just freely flying them over our border, dropping stuff off and doing surveillance. Uh, what could you tell us about that? And that's an absolute. Um, 
the utilization of drones, uh, both both aspects, um, they do a lot of counterintelligence. Um, one of the things that I can tell you is the, the cartels. I mean, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry, so they invest well in, in intelligence. Uh, every aspect they, you think about it as a business, and every aspect of that business they invest into it. And uh, the counterintelligence part is something that's big for them. So they they've got people that will sit up on mountaintops and watch our agents, uh, count them watch the vehicles, they've got the abilities, they used to have the ability, and sometimes they, they still acquire it, where they can uh, listen in, even though we haven't, at one point we had it, the encryption for our radios um, with evolving technology, they find a way to, to crack into that. So they'll begin identifying agents, what their patterns are, what, you know, how, how they respond, what their behaviors are. So the counterintelligence is a yes. Um, the other aspect with the, the dropping of narcotics Absolutely. Um, usually you see small, you'll see a drone fly across and they're so hard to detect, uh, and the abilities of them has increased tremendously. So they can fly it right up and over the border into somebody's house or somebody's truck and then take off. At one point, one of the biggest things we were witnessing were ultralights, the ULAs. So they would load these things up with two to 400 pounds of, of narcotics, fly it right over the border and then drop this, uh, 200, 300 pound load of marijuana, cocaine, whatever it may be. Uh, for a pickup crew, the pickup crew would round it up and take off. So, the, you know, it, that was the old-fashioned way. Now, today, the best way that they're doing is with the uh, the drones because you can control those, fly them right into an awaiting vehicle, and it's gone. And here's another, that's another great example where, uh, you know, Congress and our state officials, the law hasn't caught up to that. Uh, and when I say that from this perspective, there isn't anything there that – makes it an arrestable crime. I mean, it's trafficking of narcotics, but the utilization of those drones and the ability to um, deploy technology so that we can knock them out of the air or gain control of them, we're not allowed to do that because there are any laws that would allow us to do so. So this is going to continue and it'll escalate until either Congress or states start take action and pass laws to, to make that uh, illegal. I'd argue that they purposely hamstring the uh, the Border Patrol and there's there's, you know, Les conviene to like hmm. move their feet very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. And this is all happening while we have the fentanyl crisis. We're in a pandemic, right? Quote unquote. Um, what else? Uh, economy. So wages are going to go. Yeah. Inflation. Wages are going to go down. So all the all the lefties and liberals who, uh, you know, claim to say that, well, walls are racist and, you know, these are these are racist. This is uh, indigenous land. It was it was ours to begin with. And this and that. It's like. So would you like to talk about the women and kids that are disappearing and getting shuffled and being treated as the commodity, being treated as the product? Like they're going to reuse these women over and over and over again. The dope, once it gets smoked, they got to bring more dope to re-up. With the women, they're using them over and over again in, in these brothels and everything else. Houston's a huge hub in human trafficking. So if the liberals who are, you know, claim to be so caring... And so uh, soft-hearted, they should really take a serious look <laughs> at, at what's going oh, absolutely. on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, I was watching one of your podcasts, and uh, uh, I forget the name of the gentleman who was talking about he, he didn't agree with walls. You know, and albeit, a wall can be overcome, you know, whether it can be cut, dug under, whatever it may be. But the fact of the matter is, wherever you put a wall up, you have the ability to deflect that flow of migration to an area where the Border Patrol can better handle it and work it. Um, you know, I was in Yuma, Arizona in 2007, where we had just under 3,000 vehicles drive across the border because we had no fencing whatsoever, and people were walking across ha haphazardly. 
we put wall up and it changed that dynamic overnight. So, you know, when you can put that up, you can better control the border. And that's what this is about. And it's a wall's not racist. It's the wall doesn't look at you and say you're a person of color. The wall is designed specifically for security. And, and you know, I've got a fence in my backyard and you go to the White House and they've got a wall there. So it's, it's kind of silly to say it's a, it's a racist uh, inanimate object. But uh, why don't we just call it that? Why don't we just call it a fence instead of a wall? Yeah, that's what it, that's what it's been. But you know what? It's it's been politicized, and now you, you use that to, as a as a, a term for to automatically jump to racism. Well, it's a wall, and that wall is thought of as being racist. I thought you were it, tired, Chief. It sounds like you're still like really deep into what's going on. So, could you tell us in the audience like what have you been doing in retirement? Because it sounds like you're just working just as hard. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's hard to get out of your system after uh, thirty years. Um, I've stayed somewhat uh, active. I still talk to a lot of the agents. Uh, one of the things that uh, I witnessed when I was still active was that we're not allowed to speak freely, depending upon the administration. Um, unfortunately, my experience has been, for example, during the Obama administration and now with the, speaking to my counterparts, the Biden administration, they're not allowed to speak freely about what's really going on at the border. So a lot of uh, what comes out is controlled and it's scripted. And so uh, what I try to do is when I get the opportunity – for example, today, I try to get out here and speak about what's going on at the border because there aren't enough people that are seeing the reality of the border. Um, <clears throat> and so staying abreast of what's going on. And then I've also uh, I've helped um, some uh, nonprofit organizations uh, with uh, the unaccompanied children. You know, one of, one of the things you'd mentioned, the exploitation. And uh, you really it's, it's hard to lay fault on, uh, on children. Uh, these these poor kids have, have traveled thousands of miles, and then there's there's no telling what they've been subjected to from their point of origin to the border, and um, the ability to to get them out of the hands of the border patrol or ICE means that those people, the ICE agents and the border patrol agents, can get back out there to the border and do their job. Um, but it's just the the dynamics and the complexity of the situation at the border. It's just incredible, and every day there's a story that unfolds, and, and uh, I, I just it's hard to get away from it. So, you know, it, the one thing I, I, I ask, and, and I, I applaud you guys for doing this, is the American people need to open up their eyes and take a look. Um, the uh, Unfortunately, I think the media has really, with the exception of a couple of media outlets, most of the media has ignored the situation at the border. And as we begin to see the impact of this volume of illegal migration and then the administration applying them to different parts of the country, people are going to be begin realizing the impact. A lot of the folks coming up to the border, they're, they're not vaccinated. They're not immunized. And so, you know, as you mentioned, we're in this pandemic. And uh, this, this new variation is extremely infectious. So when you've got people that show up from other parts of the world and then they end up in the community in Ohio or New Jersey and their kids go to school with your kids um, and they don't have the same immunizations, well, then you start having a, a, a re-up of chicken pox and maybe even, even COVID. Measles. But the Exactly, exactly. And, and then there's the impact. And, and again, I, I don't want any, any of your listeners to think that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, dissing on kids because I, I feel sorry for these young uh, children, but they're at a disadvantage because then they go into our school system completely unaware of how, uh, of how it works. And now you've got a teacher who has to focus more time on those kids, which then impacts your child who's trying to learn and, and uh, accelerate in, in the educational world. So it's just, there's so many different dynamics that play into this, but then there's the social aspect. Um, you know, the other thing that the government's been doing is it's providing um, housing for a lot of these asylum seekers. Hmm. So they're, they, the government has actually um, rented hotels throughout the country 
where uh, asylum seekers are being housed for sometimes as few as a, a week, sometimes as many as two to three months. And this is a government expense. And some of the states and the counties are doing the same thing. So when you, when you think about this and you extrapolate it out, of the two million people that came across, and I would surmise that probably more than half of them got released into the U.S., they end up somewhere like um, uh, Portland or somewhere up on the, on the East Coast, and these cities, and some of these are these uh, liberal cities, and, and uh, they end up housing them. And now they're overwhelmed because uh, it was Portland where they, they had budgeted uh, just under $3 million to house asylum seekers. And it ended up, ended up costing them $30 million. So there was this awakening as to, oh, you know, there's, there's a cost to being open, having my arms open and, and saying, bring everybody here. And so they're starting to cry a little bit because they didn't expect that volume. They didn't expect the cost. And I think uh, as this begins to to, to uh, materialize and, and maturate over time, a lot of these cities are going to be uh, start crying to the federal government for help because they didn't expect it, they weren't prepared for it, and, and uh, the reality of it reality of it is hitting them in the face. Chief, one last question from me: uh, Could you clarify what has happened with the you know the Remain in Mexico policy that Biden was supposed to reimplement and how that's going and if it's actually going? Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> so. Th- this was uh, this is my my opinion. The remain in Mexico. Uh, the Biden administration cannot afford to let it go away because at some point, the clamor behind the violent of illegal migration will become so great that they're going to have to react, and they can very easily point to uh, remain in Mexico as a tool, and then they can lay blame on Trump. So you, you get the ability to say. And I really don't want to use this tool because it's draconian and it's Trump's and, you know, it's racist and all that, but it's an effective tool. So as as more clamoring and, and hype uh, builds up over the volume and what's going on at the, the border of the crisis, they'll start using this tool. So they've turned it on in a couple places. Uh, RGV, they just turned it on in San Diego, but they're, um, they've really restricted the utilization of it. So families, um, women, uh, LGBT. LGBTQ uh, folks uh, and some other uh, classifications of people are not allowed uh, or not subjected to the remain in Mexico. So the pool of eligible people diminishes. So even though it's now turned back on, as of right now, this is the administration controlling this, even though it's turned back on, the Border Patrol has a very small pool that they can draw from to send people back into Mexico. Wow. So it's, yeah, so it's it's a mixed bag. Is it back in place? Yes. But is it, is it as effective as it was, was once before? No, because of these limitations. But yeah. I, I've, I've got the feeling that it, it, the administration is not going to have the ability to continue this, particularly as we move towards the midterms. They're going to have to take some sort of action, and I think this will be one of those tools that they uh, they don't want to use, but they're, they're going to end up having to use. Yeah, they're worried about voters' rights right now. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile... They're worried about Ukraine and voters' rights and stuff like that. Meanwhile, the American people are like, hey, bro, what's up with the inflation and the economy and the jobs and the border and, and, and this and that, the crime? That's economy and history, man. You know, the uh, dam- yeah. the anarchy. So my last question is this. One of my concerns is the ability for terrorists to get through that porous border. And and what could you uh, tell us about that? Well, it's an absolute. When, when you see... Two million people coming through the border. That means, and it's not just the two million people. I mean, that's a huge volume of people coming across the border, but it's the impact to the capabilities of the Border Patrol. 
Um, in Yuma over this weekend, there were 3,000 illegal aliens sitting in their in their stations. And you would think, wow, that's you know that's that's a lot, and that's great that you caught, you caught 3,000. Go out there and catch more. But the reality is, you've got to feed, you've got to care for, you've got to go to the hospital, and then you have to process these 3,000 people. So what that did to that sector, that sector, there's about uh, just under a thousand agents that work there. So at any given during a shift, there may be I don't know two or three hundred agents working. If you've got three thousand people sitting within your station, now you move away. You, you lose the ability to actually go out and patrol the border. You may put one or two units out there, but everybody else is dedicated to processing and caring and feeding and hospital runs of those three thousand people. So what that means is now the the border is wide open. It's vulnerable. And uh, terrorist, uh, narcotic, uh, you know, these cartels, they take advantage of that. They, you know, we, we just talked about the, the intelligence. They look at that and they say, hey, look, you know what? Instead of the, the typical 12 or 20 units they have out here today, the border patrol has two. So we're going to exploit that and they start running drugs, people, and whatever else through. So does that potential exist? Absolutely. And is it, uh, do we have a heightened threat now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, my, my hypothesis is uh, they're doing it all on purpose. It's like there's when you look at the risk benefit analysis of like, OK, we just listed a lot of bad stuff. You know, it's like, what's the counter argument? It's like, uh, well, you know, we need uh, to have Border Patrol overwhelmed and understaffed. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. I heard uh, the statistic is like we only have 19,000. Uh, border agents patrolling our border you know and to put it into perspective i think new york city has like thirty-five thousand nypd or something and um and i think the wish list of uh someone from the border patrol was like we need i forget what the number was but it's like we need like at least thirty thousand total to monitor the northern border the two coasts and the southern border so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so the 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 authorized uh, level of manpower that the Border Patrol should have uh, based on uh, congressional authorization is like 20, a little over 21,000 agents. Um, we, the Border Patrol is probably somewhere around um, 17,000, maybe 18,000. But of that, you've got 1,500 to 2,000 on the northern border. So, and then on the southern border, so that gets you down to what's that, about, let's say, 16, 15,000. But then you've got folks, uh, you take out the management, some other folks. And, it, you know, so it's, it's probably, I would say, ten to 12,000 people that are uh, agents that are available to patrol the border. Yes. Uh, you know, and this is one of the uh, one of the fallacies that this administration talks about. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw the story with the secretary where he went out to Yuma. You know, there's two factors going on here. You've got him and then the new commissioner who I, uh, I don't I don't think was the right guy for the job. But that's a different story. And when the agents are complaining Manpower is certainly one of the issues. You know, we, it's always been an issue for the Border Patrol, and it'd be great to have more agents on the line. But you cannot, the secretary and the commissioner can't come out and say, well, you know, we're going to fix this because we're going to give you more agents. That's not the solution. We, the Border Patrol cannot arrest itself out of this crisis. Mm-hmm. They're going to give us more agents. They're going to arrest more people and more and more people. Mm-hmm. The crisis isn't going to get fixed until this administration takes a hard stance. And, and, and my whole aspect with this is immigration it's larger than just the border security. You have to fix the entire system. Um, and right now, what the Biden administration is doing, and you know, with the we're going to the root cause. Yeah, you're going to the root cause, but it, it's it's this dam that's wide open and leaking like crazy, and and they're up in the mountains trying to figure out how to stop it from raining. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's ludicrous. Um, yeah, it, it, will more agents help? 
yes, but that's not the solution in and of itself. We we need we need to revert back to border security. We need to create a the, the posture of if you come to the United States, there's there's the rule of law. You're going to be turned away. We have to acknowledge that the asylum system, it's broken, but it's being abused. Ninety percent of the folks that are showing up at the border, they don't qualify for asylum. But they know that once they make that request, once they claim it, they're going to be released in the U.S. Yes. And so now you have this backlog of millions of people. You don't have enough immigration judges to hear their cases, at least in a timely manner. I think the, uh, the average wait time, a quick turnaround for an asylum case is about three years. But usually it's five to seven years. So I've got nothing to lose when I show up at the border, knowing that I don't qualify. And I say, hey, I want asylum. Because that's going to give me five to seven years minimally before any sort of action is taken. And then by then, I've already disappeared into the country. So who's going to come and find me? Nobody. And the people of Mexico, they've had a belly full. They're starting to like feel like they're being oh, replaced yeah. in some of these. Uh, and I tell people, I'm like, hey, we're Mexican-Americans over here are, are saying like, Orale, you sold out your people. You're not supposed to be for border security and national security and things like that. And it's like, you should be ashamed. And it's like, <laughs> do you have any relatives in Mexico? Have you talked to them about how they feel about this? And it's always like, they would never say that. It's like, no, they're tired of it. Uh, Chief, thank you so much for the update. Tell everyone where they can follow you and uh, and learn more about everything that you're doing. Hey, well, well, thank you guys again for having me on. And, and uh, I'm on uh, on Instagram as uh, as uh, Chief Roy Villarreal. Um, I'm retired, uh, but do it, did it for over three decades. And I post sporadically um, when I see something that that's, uh, I, I think is really bothersome or the American public needs to know about. But uh, I thank you guys for, for taking this on and for informing and educating the American public and keep up the great work. And, hey, I noticed you started working out again. You motivated me to get back in the gym, so thank you. <laughs> nice. Oh, hell yeah, man. It's it's all the mamado mindset, brother. Mamado mindset. <laughs> Puro gains. We hope to have you on. We should do this monthly, Chief. Like, at the end of every month, kind of get a, a wrap-up of how that, that month has gone. Like, next week, we're already in February, right? So hopefully, maybe once a month, we could try to get you on for a little update like this. Yeah, a quick chat. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Give me a holler anytime. I, I love the opportunity and it, I, I really enjoy speaking with you guys. Awesome. And if I'm touring in your in your neck of the woods, uh, we have to stay in touch and, and have you come out and be a special guest. That sounds great. Thank you, Chief. Hi, brother. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. He's awesome. He's awesome. I fucking love the Roadcaster too, man. This thing's so great. That's what's up. Nah, man. He's awesome. Um, that Everyone listening, please make clips out of that. I mean, everything from... People getting dropped off in the middle of the night, drones being used, terrorists coming through, um, this administration playing around with these policies. That is the end of the teaser. All right. If you want the whole enchilada, the full shebang, that's strictly for the patrons. We're hitting y'all with more premium content. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash red pill tamales and get full access to all of the shows, all of the content and all the premium exclusives all right see you there patreon.com forward slash red pill tamales Sus.